0: Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to, wait, what? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. This is episode 119. In it, Graham McMillan and I discuss one crazy news week for comics with the announcement of Angela and Age of Ultron, the rumored and rescinded death of Jon Stewart, more departures of DC talent, and the debut of a digital-only pay-what-you-want comic from Brian K. Vaughn and Marcos Martin. Join us for over an hour and 50 minutes of talk about these topics, as well as discussion of Action Comics 18, Constantine No. 1, Sympathy for the Devils, and a quick list of all the great comics that came out during this very odd slice of time. Full, although somewhat skimpy, show notes are available over at SavageCritic.com, and as always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Hello? Graham McMillan, this is the most exciting week in the history of comics!
1: It is, isn't. It? it is the most exciting Thursday in history of comics. Like it's, Wednesday and Thursday, and we seem weirdly filled. Well, you it's know, like what? They knew we were doing a podcast.
0: It, it's totally true. Well, see, this is it. Like, admittedly, I'm uh, uh, maybe I'm being overly uh, dramatic about the, the matter, but the fact that Brian K. Vaughn and Marcos Martin released a "Pay What You Want" comic direct to the internet on Tuesday also makes it a yeah, kind of a.
1: It's been a fucking weird week, hasn't it?
0: It really has. I figured that we were going to spend the majority of our time talking about just that, and then all this other shit has come down on Wednesday and Thursday from the bit too, it, where it's just like Jesus, you know. So,
1: so what should we start with? Should we start with the, the uh, Vaughn and, and Marquinhos?
0: You know, let's let's save it because I almost feel like it sort of seems like dessert. Uh, oh yeah, it's,
1: it seems like the smallest of all things now, and the good news in a Well, that's of- it. Not
0: so good news. Okay,
1: let's let's start with DC.
0: Yeah, let's go. Let's go straight for the good God above. You know.
1: See, like, so DC is like imploding, right?
0: Yeah, that seems to be it. Well, okay, so just for people, just for historical perspective, because by the time we put this up next week, God only knows what Yeah, else. exactly.
1: D- DC may no longer exist by the time we put this up <laughs> next week. Um, we record, we're recording this on the Thursday afternoon, which means that yesterday, Wednesday, the 20th of March, mm-hmm. 20th? Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah, I think so. Um, is the day that Andy Diggle confirmed that he was off Action Comics before his first issue had even come out, followed by Joshua Hale Falcoff, who is off Green Lantern Corps and Red Lanterns, Mm -hmm. again, before his first issue has even come out. Yes. Uh, Both of which saying... Actually, I'm not sure Diggle did say it was for editorial interference, but uh, uh, Joshua Falcoff definitely did.
0: Yeah, uh, Falcoff definitely did. As as I recall... um... Uh, Dickle did say I think he said for professional reasons is yes
1: what he put and, and, of and, but then interestingly I've said for professional reasons that it was a very big deal it was you know it was very difficult to make this decision mm-hmm. and then singled out the actual editor of uh, Action Comics as saying that he hopes to work with them again someday
0: yes yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: it was like you know so it's professional reasons but you know it's not the editor and it's not because I didn't want to do it and it's not because I was too busy mm-hmm It was just professional reasons. And then, you know, what, three hours later, uh, Falcoff was like, yeah, I've left because of editorial.
0: Yeah, yeah, very specific. And then you
1: saw today the Bleeding Cool story, Mm. right? Uh,
0: Yeah, although, of course, as these things happen, only found out. Like, I found out, I think you talking with people about it on Twitter and then jumping over to Bleeding
1: I, See, Here's out. the thing. Uh, Rich was like, it's the biggest news story of the day. And honestly, it seems like a non-event to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea of, so, so again, to put it in context, what seems to be coming out is that uh, Falcoff walked off the, the Green Lantern Corps and Red Lantern's books because DC has decided they're going to kill John Stewart. right. Who is the one of the two leads of Green Lantern Corps. Yeah. Uh, and as Rich points out, the quote unquote black Green Lantern.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um and Rich is portraying this as like a, I, I, a really big deal and a, a, a racist thing. Mm-hmm. And I I just can't well I can't be that bothered by it because it's a fucking superhero is dead story. Right, like right. how many of those have we really seen in the last few years? I, 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 I don't think. I think. Uh, I think Rich's point was this is DC's most high-profile black character, mm-hmm. and I'm not really sure that's true of John Stewart anymore.
0: Uh, you, there's a more high-profile black DC character, arguably Cyborg through the miracle of like but, the heroes for Afro, heroes for hope advertising or something, but well, also he's in Justice League.
1: Yeah. I mean, right, John Stewart has, in terms of an ongoing book, only right. been in Green Lantern Corps for two years now? Yes. If not less than that. Right. But uh, the, Before that, he was the forgotten Green Lantern. I mean, yeah, sure, he had the high-profile Justice League cartoon.
0: But that's huge, man.
1: But that, that's also a really long time ago. Yeah, though. it was a while
0: ago. And I mean, it, so this is my thing, is, is on the one hand, I feel that... Um, like, if I were DC and I were going to kill a Green Lantern, you know, uh, John Stewart would be, the, would be the best one in terms of getting the bang for your publicity buck, you know?
1: Yeah, and, and also, to be blunt, he's the expendable one. He mm. genuinely... Well, Hal Jordan is, has his own book. Right. Kyle Rayner has his own book.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Guy Gardner is quite clearly the lead character of Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, but like John Stewart is the one who hasn't really had anything to do in the series for a long time.
0: Sure, sure. Well, yeah, but I mean, hmm, so, so, uh, so I again, I see all the reasons for it in the sense of like, oh yeah, as the PR goes, it would be a good thing, but it, it, a good in quotes thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: Attention grabbing. Yeah, shall we say?
0: But but I do, you know, it's not exactly like we, we're seeing Black Goliath running around in in the Marvel universe. You know what I mean? Like, there is... <laughs> uh, I don't know what you mean. What do you mean? Well, I mean, like, when they, they bumped off Bill Foster in uh, Civil War. I think that one stuck, didn't it?
1: Uh, well, they immediately brought in his nephew as the new Black Goliath. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. They really did.
0: I, You know, I, I was going to say, I was 90% sure that something happened yeah, to that Tom, character. Tom, you Tom know.
1: Foster turned up as the new, Black Goli- or the new Goliath, because by that point he was just Goliath. Right. Um, with an ex- with, no joke, exactly the same visual. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. To the point where some people, when they saw preview art for issues with him in it, were like, "Oh, Bill Foster's alive again."
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's
1: how cl- that's how close the characters looked. Which you know, good job, everyone. Right. Um, no, but again, I just, for example, DC has had solo black leads in Static and Mister Terrific,
0: sure, or Black Lightning for that matter,
1: or Black Lightning. Oh, he's not solo. He's he's stuck with... Um, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, are you talking I, within I mean, the context the of the new years. 52 is what you mean? Yeah. Okay, sorry, sorry.
0: Yeah. In mean, the last couple of years. Yes.
1: Um, I, I just... It makes me, instead of going, oh, I. you know, this is either being done for controversy or being done, like, you know, this is a terrible thing, we should all get really upset, it really just makes me think, this is really boring. Mm.
0: Well, I, I. yeah, I... It's funny, because uh, most of the stuff from the big two... Um, I mean, to me, much more behind the scenes, uh, much more alarming is the fact that months ago, DC had their creative summit. And
1: Dundee apparently apologized.
0: And Diane Nelson stood next to him and said, "We, you know, I am going to be here to make sure that, that you know, his apology sticks and that editorial is not going to continue to muck about with storylines yeah. once they're set. Yeah. You've got it set. Yeah, and
1: then this happened.
0: Yeah, so I mean, to me, in that sense, that that is that is the very uh, much more alarming prospect. Because, like that, you said, John Stewart could be but, even if they were intending to to kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him. It can still be redone like a well,
1: Exactly. I mean, Hal Jordan has died twice in what Jeff Johns run alone. Right. You right. know. I mean, it's just killing off killing off superhero in general. Really, who gives a shit at this point? Killing off a Green Lantern, especially so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, they have inbuilt ways to bring these characters back now. Right. uh Yeah. For me, the John Stewart part is the is minimal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Far more important is, like you say, DC apparently learned their lesson about fucking with creative, and then before two of their most high profile new writers have taken over two of their fucking flagship books. Yeah the creators have walked off citing editorial. I mean, this is a really big problem. Mm
0: -hmm, mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is is absolutely... It it is very big. I mean, I'm trying to think which DC book that I had picked up that had, like, a relatively extensive multi-page...
1: Oh, all all of the DC books this week.
0: Yeah. I think
1: it's a six-page preview of Andy Diggle and uh, Tony Daniel doing action comics. And it's worth pointing out. Tony Daniel said yesterday on Facebook... I'm taking over the writing of Action Comics. I'm scripting over Andy Eagle's plots. Mm-hmm. And they said, but I'm only on for, for three issues. Wow. It was like, I was always planned to be off this book by issue 21.
0: See, and it's funny because my big smoking gun would have been the idea that, you know, I, I, at least on the um, surface of it, the easy way to, to look at things was that it was... Like, if someone had, you know, just sat, you know, asked me for my opinion as to what had gone down, it had been the fact that Diggle was working with Daniel, Tony Daniel, who had just come off of a run, well, recently, of Detective, where he'd been both writing and drawing, and, you know, it the it was used to having a little more clout in the way, in telling the stories and shaping the stories, and that that... had been what happened, but it sure doesn't sound like that's the case of Daniel's insistent that A, it's Diggle's plot and B, he's gone after three issues
1: but also, Daniel was always supposed to be gone after the first arc Like Mm -hmm. even before all of this shit came about people were going, oh yeah, Aaron Cooter's taking over the book Mm. Mm -hmm. which for me was really interesting, I was like I really like Aaron Cooter's art, I've just discovered him Mm -hmm. you know, Andy Diggle, I have no idea how he's going to be as a Superman artist, this might be a good book after all, maybe I won't have to drop action, and now I'm like why would I keep buying action comics?
0: Right, right. Well, I mean it's 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 oof. I mean it's uh It it's
1: really rough. And yeah. and I, I don't know, I keep coming back to how does DC fix this? And I said this without saying it on Blog At this morning. Yes,
0: and, and I was amazed Cause, cause that you, one of you your commenters missed it actually. Yeah, I well
1: just, I mean you can't come out and say it, but you have to get rid of Bob Harris. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. I, I can't call for Bob Harris' head in a, a stick in <laughs> blog at. Like I know my limits and that is way past them. Yeah. But really, you have to get rid of Bob Harris. Yeah. That and I think A, I don't think it will happen. Mm-hmm. The B, I think it's the only thing that would be enough of a sign from
0: DC that things will change. Right. Right, right, right. No, I agree. I, well, it's not even just a sign. I think just a sign to, the, to editorial. You know what I mean? Because when you... You know, th- this is the trick that every eight-year-old kid knows, is is like you ask your mom one thing and she says no and then you go and ask dad. You know what I mean? And so in DC, sometimes I feel like with too many heads... It's it's probably pretty easy for the editors there to be like, well, okay, like the do doesn't want to go for this, you know, says says this, but Bob Harris pulled me aside and told me that it's my ship, that these are my books, and I'm the one who's guiding this, you know. So it it certainly seems like, based on Harris's history at Marvel, that this is a direct result of of Harris being, yeah. you know, yeah. I,
1: I I think you can really, really point to Harris being the problem here yeah. because even when DiDio and Lee were theoretically in charge and Paul Levitz was there, mm-hmm. things weren't as bad.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, right, because then you had a totally different way of, you know, apparently at that point it was the editors being set against one another. But yeah, I mean, if this isn't, if this isn't Harris, somebody has come up with a brilliant way to frame him for it because it really has his.
1: Because his it really is like, hey, remember Marvel in the 90s? I mean, if it's not Harris, mm-hmm. then like Bobby Chase is this wonderful puppet master.
0: <laughs> Soon it will all
1: be mine. Soon this time he will leave and I will remain. I will not go first this time. <laughs> My plans backfired last time. When Joe Quesada <laughs> came in, but this time,
0: you know, it is kind of one of those brilliant things. Like I, I think, I don't know. I'm not sure if I've always told you, but one of my theories about why the mainstream comics industry is so incredibly dysfunctional is because of all the superhero comics that we read, basically all encourage, you know, passive aggressive behavior. You know what I mean?
1: No, I mean, superhero... The the idea that superhero comics were read by the people who now run superhero comics growing up, Mm -hmm. it sort of makes sense that everything is so fucked up. Yeah, yeah. they are like, of course, because you all learned your morality through this fucking, like, horrible mess of a thing.
0: Right, which is that ultimately, if you can punch your way into victory, you actually are right. Might might makes right, but also
1: scheming is completely legitimate
0: well because again there's this again I feel built into the inherent concept of the secret identity dynamic is the face that you put forward that basically has to put up with tons of bullshit and then you turn into the secret superhero who who, who acts out on his feelings uh, and nobody knows who it is you know and I just feel like
1: there's also uh, an inherent need for conflict in there as well mm. like Could so the be. idea of cooperation doesn't really I mean it does exist because you team up with your fellow superheroes right. but it also you read conflict into things because mm. you're taught to believe that it is a them and us that right. there is a good and evil as yeah. opposed to you know maybe we just have different opinions right
0: right. well yeah I mean but even, even if there is just a we just have different opinions like you still find that out after punching each other for half an issue you know what I mean there's always the fight so, uh, so yeah, so I think I think it leads to this sort of just crazily dysfunctional behavior, um, uh, and uh, does not doesn't you know the worst part is I know I had another point just past the tip of that <laughs> and it's like and I'm like ah curse you Graham with your better oh, details and your more interesting way of putting things you just totally screwed it up for me well, I will scheme and plan. take I'll just totally undo your ed- with editing I'll just put in some static. That's what I've learned from exactly. Superhero Comics.
1: That's when Earth Calls fell down again, everyone. Just, yeah. Everyone who's listening, there's never been technical problems. Every time Jeff says it is, it's because I said something really insightful and he
0: edited it. And I'm story. just like, you fucking son of a. Yeah, it's and then I'm really <laughs> apologetic about it. You know, it's kind of a shame that we bring this up now because last week I realized, like, I sometimes wonder if the reason why Doctor Doom has faded from Ascendancy, like, in comic books is because of the fact that Dr. Doom is pretty much the template for the internet. You know what I mean? Like, that whole, like...
1: You know what's really funny? Mm -hmm. I think that Dr. Doom... uh, I think... uh, You can flip that. I think the internet is Brian Bendis' template for Dr. Doom dialogue. Oh, you think? No, genuinely. (laughs) Like, when you see Bendis try and write Doom, and all of a sudden he's like, You cow
0: trollop! Yeah, exactly. like what that is true that is true the first thing the internet does is is if it's a woman like like talks you know about her weight in a disparaging way so yeah it could be no i i just mean just the motive just the whole idea that it's like you become fixated on this one person that you've convinced has wrecked your life you know what i mean that's like dr doom and arguably you know uh, it, at least many people uh, who write comics would insist that that's okay. The...
1: But do you think that's the internet, or do you think that's the fan mentality? Again, I think it gets down to a:
0: you read
1: this sort of uh, archetype is a bit bold, probably, but you read this sort of character over and over and over again, and that sort of worldview mm-hmm. um, that there is a cause and effect that there isn't that doesn't really exist in real life. Do you know what I mean? There's <laughs> there's a through line in comic book events right. that doesn't really happen, but you end up with a, a mindset that it does. You end up with a mindset that people are actually scheming to upset you, or right. or that you can't disagree with someone without being their enemy, or or that you it, basically that everything is more deliberate than it actually is.
0: Right. Like I said, this is Victor Von Doom, like, right there in, you know. But, I but I mean, I, I do wonder sometimes. But That being said, I say this stuff, but if you look at the message boards anywhere else, like CNN, for fuck's sake, you know what I mean? I think it's just, I want to believe, but the fact is not that many people read this many comic books. I think it's just one of those unfortunate ways that... that well, it's true. Comics, Every time
1: I, I stupidly decide to read the comments on a... Political story, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. It it the, the the binary thinking is astounding. Yeah, is and, and the ability to go from zero to apeshit in no time whatsoever. Do you know? but you know? I mean, like you get a story, and the story will be uh, whatever you know. The story will be something really bland. Michelle yeah. Obama says exercise is great. Yes. You know, which I think everyone, if you really think about it, would agree. Yes. Is exercise a good thing? It probably is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, three comments in, someone would be like, Nanny States. And then the next person would be like, you're a fascist. <laughs> and it's like, what? what? What happened? How did we actually get here? This is insane. But it's everywhere.
0: It is everywhere. It absolutely is everywhere, and who knows? Maybe that's so. I do have to say, there's part of the way. Well, let me ask you this then, to flip this around. So when you look at the whole John Stewart thing, and you're like, I don't think it's a big deal. It's just a death of a hero thing. And like, are you? Do you feel? Hmm, do you feel like you've actually just sort of moved beyond it, or do you feel that you are sort of trying to at least deliberately? counter-program, so to speak, for the sort of, um... Counter-program for myself or counter-program other people? Well, yeah, I guess other people, in terms of the message that you put out there. I mean... Uh,
1: No, that was a genuine expression of my exhaustion when I read that. Okay. I was genuinely just like, really? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also, why I don't get... It's not even I don't get why people be upset, but I feel that when people do get upset about it, mm-hmm. they'll be getting upset because they want to be upset mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as opposed to because there's anything actually upsetting about that particular thing. The, the upsetting thing, like we said, is that DC is just openly fucking with creators. Creators are not allowed to create anymore.
0: Yeah, that's the part that, and I, that
1: I think that's the up on. that's the thing you should be upset about. Mm-hmm. If you're upset about the fact that a fictional character is going to die in a genre where you run out of ideas, you kill a fictional character. hmm Mm-hmm. That that strikes me as, as looking for reasons to get upset. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree, I agree.
1: But I think a lot of people really like getting upset at DC, and it's you oh, know wait wait I'm and, sorry and like weirdly displaced upset as well.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna back up. I'm not sure that I do agree actually. You know because just in the sense of you use the term looking to get upset, but as you point out, there's actually a, a really valid. Reason to already be upset, so I don't think it's so much yep, like they're looking for it, right? I think it's more that their reaction. I, I don't know. I don't know because yeah? I mean, I I
1: agree to an extent, but I feel that people get people feel more I don't know comfortable being upset over the fate of fictional characters. Well, I think yeah, but I think or, that's they're a... they they're more comfortable expressing that mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. than yeah. they
1: are and actually going wait. They are clearly actively impeding the progress of what they hired people to do. That is wrong. They'll just be like, oh, that sucks that he's walked off that book. But wait, holy fuck, you're killing John Stewart. Right. And it's like, flip that around. Really?
0: Yeah. No, I agree with you, but I just wanted to say, like, I don't think it's like they're looking to get upset. It's just the unfortunate thing. Of, and I know that I've gone through periods of my life where this is true: is that the the fictional characters are more real than the people behind it. You know, which, on the one hand, is sort of frustrating, but uh, entirely understandable considering the lengths to which we're exposed to these characters and and want to identify with them, and that identification is. You know, reinforced by the company as much as possible. You know? What
1: has been really interesting for me is, I love John Stewart. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love Green Lantern as a concept. I've mm-hmm. always said that. Mm-hmm. John Stewart is my favorite Green Lantern. Yes, which you said before. So, I am so devoid of <laughs> of interest in the idea of his death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was thinking about this earlier, and I think part of the reason is. The John Stewart I find interesting has been gone for a really long time.
0: Oh yeah, you've you. This is something that you've mentioned earlier too. That that the that we're both more of the architect John Stewart than the soldier John Stewart.
1: Yeah, yeah. and that the architect John Stewart is an infinitely more interesting character. Mm-hmm. That I think the more they go down the he's a conflict soldier, especially. Mm-hmm. And this is something that was in the God I think it was the last Green Lantern Corps issue. Mm-hmm. Um. Essentially he is the a soldier who consistently makes the wrong choice. <laughs> um, you know that's that's just kind of dull to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I would I, I find there's I find there's a lot more interesting in the idea of Jon Stewart is a black character that doesn't fall into the cliches.
0: Well, I think, you know, one of the things that's sort of a great shame, not, not, to, not to pigeonhole it, uh, but, you know, the original John Stewart was much more of an activist, you know what I mean? Like that was de- a deliberate part of his origin. So he was, a, he was an activist Green Lantern, you know, in, in, right now at a period where we had like a black activist president of the United States. You know, and mm-hmm. instead of going that way, there was a lot of the "Hey, here I am with my inner you know, interstellar sniper rifle. Which, God, I love sniper things as much, arguably more than the next person. I really do. But even I was like, "What?" You know, like. But,
1: but to be fair, I mean the the soldier John Stewart
0: mm-hmm.
1: is pretty much one of these few hey, this works in a cartoon, we're going to make it a comic.
0: Right, right, well, which is funny, because it's like, yeah, I... I it's it's like place... one of the few, that's the one you picked, <laughs> and it was a terrible idea. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. That's like, oh, fine, now you're going to do that, you know. So, um,
1: I think yeah. John Stewart just generally makes uh, creators uncomfortable. I think John Stewart is, is often intentionally or unintentionally sort of relegated to two background roles and made a much duller character mm-hmm. and, and I mean as much as I love Engelhart's John Stewart and I really do mm-hmm. as soon as Engelhart brought Hal Jordan back to the series as a Green Lantern right. John Stewart was relegated to the background he'd be the guy who'd be like okay Cadma honey and that's it Right. That, that would be his contribution or occasionally he'd have a thought balloon where he's like I love my wife Mm-hmm. And that would pretty much be it. Yeah, I mean uh, Engelhart, when it was John Stewart Solo, mm-hmm. did some really interesting things with the character, and did some fun things with the character. Yes, Jared um, Jones did some great work with the character.
0: Yeah, that's where stuff gets really kind of uh, um, crazily ambitious and interesting. Uh, and but ever since
1: then, yeah, ever since then, it has been just horrendous for for John Stewart. He's continually gotten more boring. Yeah.
0: Well, I I, I gotta give him, uh, I gotta give uh, Fikov credit for walking away from that. That's a hard, hard decision to make, you know?
1: Yeah, it really is. Because, I mean, well, it is and it isn't. Don't forget, he's still doing, uh, he's now got a monthly series at Marvel. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He has a series at Marvel on top of that. Yeah. He already said when he was doing uh, an interview to promote Ultimates, yeah, my workload is horrendous right now. I've got to drop things. Right. So this might just be one of those things where, you know, a really early meeting, he was like, I've got to drop things. Oh, fuck it. This is no fun whatsoever. I'll drop this and I'll be fine.
2: Sure. Sure. Absolutely. It,
1: it's it's a really big thing for him to walk away from. And he come. I think he came out of it really well. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I think, so. well, it's it's tough to say at this point, but I, certainly the early indications are... I, I yeah, guess in terms Really of the, well, yeah.
1: I mean, morally? Principled? Yeah, yeah, no, things, it seems like a that, very principled
0: mean. choice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and even if he is talking about dropping his workload, I mean, it, again, it bespeaks either how bad the conditions are at DC or how unstable the conditions are at DC that Fyclov was... You know, if he was making the hard decisions, you know, made a decision to go, you know, with Marvel's collapsing Ultimate Universe, yeah. you know, rather is, than stick,
1: yeah, rapidly heading towards cancellation.
0: Yeah, you know, rather than stick with one of the more successful Green Lantern titles, you know.
1: Can we talk for a second about the fact that Robert Venditti is now writing three Green Lantern titles for DC? Wow,
0: is he's the replacement dude, huh?
1: He is. He is co-writing both. Green Lantern Corps and Red Lanterns as a result. Mm-hmm. And, as, as opposed, and additionally, Solar writing Green Lantern. Wow. Which seems incredibly unworkable to me. Mm. Unless he is literally going, so this issue, uh, the Green Lanterns fight something, <laughs> and yeah, can you just like make that 20 pages? I can't see how you can keep that up for any length of time.
0: Well, it, it sounds to me like uh, he may not be coming up with the plots, huh? <laughs> That's true. You know, he's just oh, like I, I could dialogue just... three books. You know,
1: yeah, he's he's um he's officially co-writing with God Van Jensen, who who did um, Pinocchio, Vampire Hunter for Slave Labor. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, we're talking. DC going deep into the talent pool here. Well, no, Um, I mean, that's the thing that's,
0: like, seriously, it's never been been a better time to, you know, have written, like, kind of an ultra, like, indie D-list book that got, you know, if it shipped a couple of issues on time. And I don't mean to diss Pinocchio Vampire Hunter. It may have been awesome. But I just mean, like, some of the stuff that's getting pulled are people that I'm just... Surprised. Like, it's not even necessarily stuff that strikes me as, like, in the same wheelhouse as what DC wants, which would be fine if, again, there wasn't this idea of, like, they're highly, re- they're coming off like they're treating the people like highly replaceable cogs who are just having to do what editorial does them, wants yeah, them to who, do. as who are filling as pop- in the blanks of this point. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly.
1: I, I should say that while we are recording, Bleeding Cool is now reporting that because of internet. Uh, outcry john stewart is not going to die wow let's assume first of all that rich was not making shit up with the john stewart thing in the first place right if that's true that means that josh falcoff has walked off the book because of a plot that dc was willing to lose the writer of two books over that they then overturned because people on the internet got upset I mean, you know... <laughs> I, no, no, so... really. Think about that. DC was willing to let a writer go for something that they then roll over in a few hours because people on the internet get upset.
0: Well, that's true. Well I, I'm just saying that I'm not entirely sure. I don't know to what extent Fyklav went.
1: Because of that. Well, that's just it. You that's know what like I mean? It. Like I to what ex- yeah. if we, don't, we don't know that Rich is not making this shit out. Right. You know? Because right. Rich is the king of I've learned this plot. This plot is definitely happening unless they change their mind. We'll never know. Like you could totally, (laughs) like he could literally just be making shit up all the time. Sure, but let's just say because was it not what? What Marvel series was it? It was uh, Amazing Spider-Man 700, where he's like Doctor Strange plays a massive part in this issue. (laughs) And then it came out, there's no Doctor Strange to be found. He was like, yeah, they changed their minds one was like, "You're talking shit! There was a doctor
0: involved. Damn it! It's and it not my fault.
1: issue! You see, I must have got my wires
0: crossed. <laughs> I do love the idea that the original Superior Spider-Man idea was like Doctor Strange was like gonna swap bodies with like Peter Parker and then be like, "Finally, all the underage action I can get." Yes tired of being this stuffy old guy in a Greenwich Village mansion. And then they're like, wouldn't it make more sense of his Dr. Octopus? And everyone's like, oh yeah, oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, what he, were we can probably
1: make that work. <laughs> yeah, but, no, but, I mean, really, Rich Rich is the king of... True. That being said, if someone, head.
0: if you had asked me 72 hours ago if I had thought that um, his, the Angela uh, embedded story thing was, was, uh, was exactly that, I would have I would have signed on. I would have been like, oh, sure. Who pulls that out of their butt? You know?
1: Yeah, but- I was... Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> oh, All right. won't. I will, I will I won't speed the segue. Sorry, sorry, um, sorry. But yeah, so apparently uh, John shirt is not dying. So there you go. Right. So now now we know, A, exactly how much DC values reader feedback. Sure. And B, that it's more than it values its creators. Yeah
0: yeah no uh exactly uh, I mean, there is that kind of thing of like how's the rest of this getting addressed, not very well at all, so it, you know, on the personal side of things, but yeah, no, the John Stewart thing, I think they're like eh, screw it, we don't uh. <laughs> We'll figure something out. I mean, it's true. Just it would like... be
1: hilarious if, like, another Green Lantern dies instead. Oh,
0: I'm sure they will. I'm like, sure the same plot is is like... someone to
1: shoot John Stewart, and then, like, I jumps in front of him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. No, it was just... I'm like... They're like, yeah, just redraw his head, uh, the fish guy. Just put the fish guy in there. You know, it's I'm like...
1: R2, yeah. Don't you kill him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would actually be pretty bummed if he died off, so... um yeah, no, uh, DC. I don't know. I DC's don't know. DC's a fucking mess.
1: I mean, it really, really is. I told you my Jeanette Khan DC theory the other day, right? No, I don't. I don't think you did. Okay, I was reading um, back. I think it's back issue. Uh, some, some one of the Tomorrow's magazines had uh, a really long interview with Jeanette Kam in really? an issue. Huh. Uh, and it's hilarious because it's Robert Greenberger interviewing her, and he's asking her all these really anal questions, and she quite clearly does not give a shit. So she's just like, yeah, I don't know. Your memory's better than me on that, on all, on all these questions.
0: You know, he's like, what about this? And she's like, yeah, I, I can't remember. <laughs> it's so great. I hate to be an idiot, but so she's still alive, huh? Jeez. yeah, I, yeah. yeah oh, she is. I thought she, I thought she'd passed. I'm so sorry. That's really um, that, that, well. That's good news for you. Yeah, Hooray! totally. I'm like, hey. But, but
1: what it really made me realize was, I have had, the you know is a great company. DC really cares about creators. And reading the interview, it made me realize, no, it doesn't. DC had a really good period where Jeanette Kahn and Paul Leibniz were in charge. And they cared about the creators. And it? apart from that, DC has been... Historically, a terrible company. Well, that's for, it. For they,
0: they. I mean, Jeanette Kahn and, and and I think I want to say that Dick Giordano. Yes, uh, yeah. Also, so I mean, I think he was also an important part in that. But, I mean, he, he wasn't there all, for as long a period as Paul Levitz, but but you look at all the create all the executives
1: who made the decisions that we like at DC, mm-hmm. and it's all from Jeanette Kahn's uh, reign. Yeah. It's you know it's Kahn, it's Giordano, it's Levitz, it's Berger.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, that's, that's a very small handful. But, yeah, you go back before it, there's not... It's only four or five years earlier that you you have crazy stuff going on with, you know, how Kirby's being treated at DC yeah. and, you know, basically Mort Weisinger still running rampant on Superman and treating people, like, wretchedly
1: yeah, know, and, into and the late 60s even. And, you know? But reading this interview, you really get the sense that, like... If Jeanette can had not taken the job,
0: mm-hmm.
1: none of the things that people are like think about classic DC would ever have happened. Yes, right. Like it's quite clearly her vision. She was like, "We have to treat these people with more respect."
0: Mm-hmm. Well, but again, it that may, may, may also, it, it may it and it's true. It is true, and it's uh, it's uh, I don't know. It's 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 a, it'll be a shame to see the extent to which that's getting rolled back. But
1: but it it really was an eye-opener for me, because I I honestly went from, DC should be better than this, to, why should DC be better than this? Right, Like, one woman made a a corporate change that lasted for a few decades, and then it got rolled back.
0: Well, a few decades, you kind of hope that something that happens over the course of, you know, 30 to 35 years is going to stick. The majority of it's going to stick. And, um, you know, and again, I I think But again,
1: DC was always... Like, when you consider Marvel as DC's competitor, Mm -hmm. Marvel was never there. And Marvel has always been more successful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when people who have the principles of Mm Khan or Levitt sleeve, Mm -hmm. and they're replaced by people who do not have those principles, and they look across the road and they're like, Marvel is kicking her ass. And they treat everyone like shit. Mm -hmm. Why why are we giving people copyright? Why are we supporting these low-selling books?
0: Sure. Sure, absolutely.
1: I mean, it's tragic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no, it, I don't know, I, re- I guess it really was just a shift for me from DC should be best in this to why should they? There's actually no history there when you take a kind of the picture.
0: Well, yeah, but I mean, you said, 30 to 35 years is half the history of the company, you know? I mean, that's still kind of, I mean... On the one hand, I do see your point, Graham, and I, I, and I agree with you. I mean, the thing that is actually the, the frustrating part, again, after reading something like, uh, you know, uh, the Marvel Comics' Untold Story, is it just, you know, yeah, the industry is a quagmire and has been for a long time and has totally screwed people and burned people. Um, but again, you know, my, my unfortunate theory is is that somebody made, like, you, you know that story, uh, The Monkey's Paw, right? Um, yeah. You know, where it's like you make the wish and you get the wish, but with the most horrific, uh, you know, unforeseen yeah, consequences, possible, yeah. right? So I really feel that some poor 12-year-old son of a bitch back in 1978, probably me, like got a hold of the monkey paw, wanted comics to take over everything and got their wish. And, you know, now we're surrounded by like terrible franchise films and... And I mean, I was reading this thing online about um, a, a writer who was talking about how she got Susanna Breslin has been wrote a piece for the Daily Beast. They've owed her $300 for like five months. She's been trying for five months to get a $300 payment from Tina Brown and what is basically Newsweek magazine, you know, and she sort of threw that in as a fun fact because she was off doing other stuff when the whole, you know, um, should freelancers write for free debate broke out, you know, a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. And it just really, to me, I just have that really creepy, uncomfortable feeling of like, oh, right, everyone else figured out what you know they've, what Marvel and DC figured out back in the '60s and '70s, you know, which is that we've once you've got enough people in the industry who want to do it you know, you can just, you can just pay them peanuts, you know? And it's not just them. I was reading, I, unfortunately, God help us all for, you know, my, my endless digressions, but like I was driving to an appointment today and I was hearing how Google, like because the economy, because there's still so many people who are unemployed, then the, the amount of interviewing and testing that people do in order to get jobs has gone up radically because because the companies have such a wide range of people that they can get that they want to make sure they get the very best person so yeah. they actually uh, were and to...
1: because they have so much control over the, the process now.
0: The, yeah so much control over the process they talked about this one guy who like had an MBA went in for a job like had been unemployed had to interview 9 times for a position at Google which i, I think uh, and had to take like a spelling test and a math test and ultimately, they decided to close the position. <laughs> like they they put him through nine rounds of progressive absurd hoop jumpings, and then ultimately went, eh? You know what? We can probably get by by just like doubling up the work on the people who already have it. You know, like yeah. that's
1: so. That's that's the way it works, Jeff. That's that's the sad reality of the world.
0: Right? Well, that is the sad current reality of the world. And like I said, I really, part of me is like, yeah, whoever it was who had the monkey paw back in like 1978,
1: you know, it's like, I mean, that's just a sad thing for me is in terms of the comic industry and in terms of Jeanette Kahn and DC and the way that DC's gone forward, Mm -hmm. everything, everything that has brought DC success and respect over the Jeanette Kahn era. Is the result of policies that are being rolled back? Yes, every single thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I and know. No one, no one at DC has either they've not realized this or they just don't give a shit. Yeah, and that is that's the really sad part. And I guess the sad part for me is Marvel kept winning in terms of market share and, and money mm-hmm. with inferior work and inferior policies, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and therefore created the norm.
0: Well. Yeah. I mean ultimately that is the the shame is is that in 1985, 1986 like instead I mean instead of being in a situation where DC continued to get yeah they they got progressive and yet they didn't they didn't grow their market share anywhere um you know to to match the sort of sacrifices that they were making. You know, and that 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 un- unfortunately, that is just the marketplace. Like all of us who were like, <laughs> who were like, well, I really like Spider-Man better than Aquaman. You know, and, and I mean that's, I mean that's sort of silly, but you know, the I guess certainly in a way, those of us who were like, well, I really like Spider-Man more than. Uh, then then, then the idea of picking up something called Vertigo and starting a new imprint section, like having to devote a n- new long box to a different imprint, just kind of strikes me as creepy, you know?
1: It's, but I mean, it's, it's so weird when you look back on it. If you look back on DC, like, 87, mm-hmm. you have George Perez, John Byrne, Frank Miller. Alan Moore. Alan Moore, all doing regular work for the company. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that now and you're like, and they were still being outsold by Marvel Comics.
0: Well, they were finally punching within their weight. I mean, if if Jim Shooter's to be believed, you know, five years before that, um, you know, Shooter was more or less dismissing the, you know, turned down the idea of buying DC outright. Oh,
1: that's a great thing from that Can interview because she doesn't remember that at all.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: She like outright is like I not like I not only do I not remember it. I don't remember it, if it, that makes sense. It's not like I have forgotten this happened. It's like I have no memory of that ever being a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. She more or less is like, I'm not saying he's a liar, but...
0: But, let's just say... But, okay, well, even even for Shooter-ific exaggeration, there were memos, again, oh, no, exactly. released through Shooter, that showed that the, that the sales that they had done, the surveys that they had done for DC's characters at that point, were horrible. So... But is, I mean, they didn't turn themselves around. They just, they couldn't quite.
1: Just, they just turned themselves around. They never overtook, which is just, it's really like, that's just sad. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, for a, for a short period. And, you know, this is really short because almost immediately after all those guys started working, DC were like, what about suggested for mature readers? And everyone was like, well, no. Right. But, right. you know, for, let's say there's a year in there that DC is doing, quote unquote, everything right. Mm hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. well yeah could do... I'll, let's even expand it and say like three years that they're doing everything right
1: but you know what I mean like there's this small window where they were doing like if you look at it now as like what do I think a company like DC could do mm-hmm. and DC did it and they still they still basically were second place they were a more successful second place but they were still second place right there's something just sad about that
0: yeah. There is something sad about that. That well, and you know, Hibbs Hibbs has always said that that the marketplace, the retailers in the marketplace, have a, a pro Marvel bias, and they and they always have. And uh, it, but
1: to be fair, that must be because the readership has a pro Marvel yes, bias, right? Absolutely. Well, yeah, I think. Like, I I don't think it's well, as simple as the retailers are supporting Marvel beyond what the readership is. Mm,
0: this is where actually Hibbs would make some noises. Disagree? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, now part of that is, is because his feeling is is that a, a little bit of like what you've pointed out around the time that Orson Scott Card, you know, came out, is, is that retailers, when DC would <laughs> essentially do... Sorry, I don't mean it I'm quite sorry. like that. That would no, be great.
1: I was just our scarcard coming out would be the greatest, like final shoe to drop in this week of crazy comedy. That would be awesome.
0: He's like, I am gay. And uh <laughs> your stories have convinced me I was being a horrible bigot because I was afraid of my own gayness. And <laughs> I'm moving in with Phil Jimenez or something.
1: I don't know. <laughs> okay, sorry. Get back to what you're asking. Oh yeah, 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 sorry, sorry. Uh
0: is is that he he only said that that retailers would you know, n- would never put up with the shit from DC that they put up with from Marvel. And that was true for like decades. Marvel treated retailers like crap and they were just like, "Oh, ha ha ha, you know, and part of it is like, oh, but the sales, like they give us the sales, but the other the other half of it really was just like you know they they themselves because you know retailers themselves come out of the comic book industry you know i mean as fans and they start their own stores and a lot of them were big marvel fans now there are big dc fans who run you know big dc stores and you know hibbs hibbs it's it's always great watching hibbs critique someone like marvel because i really feel that he's like you know as a guy who's in his mid-40s he's like you guys should be winning. You should be making so much money because you should be outselling DC. And anything he said, he's like the, the marketplace, he's like the readership favors Marvel so much that if you cannot be outselling DC three to one, he's like, just help me make more money. That's all I care about at this point. Give me ways that I can make money. You know, and I mean, it's not like I mean, before. I mean, that's,
1: that's almost a whole different thing. Marvel's bookstore presence. Oh, yeah at this point is, it's gone beyond comedy. Mm-hmm. Marvel's book surprises is tragedy at this point. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, so there's so much stuff that that is going on there that really the, the, the great tragedy is, <laughs> back when we were talking about DC self-destructing, back when the new 52 was coming out, like, we weren't necessarily that far off, you know? Like, we really were. Like, oh, yeah, how long until they fuck this up? And it really... Well,
1: that's just, again, we're 18 months into the new fifty two. Yeah.
0: I think a lot of people and were calling 18 getting,
1: months. Yeah, it, yeah mm-hmm. pretty much. I just, but it really, it's just getting worse. I mm-hmm. think that's the part that constantly surprises me. Because right. you have things like Gail Simone getting mm-hmm. fired and then getting rehired, and you're like, okay... That's, like, that's got to be as bad as it can get. Right. Like, they they cannot be so incredibly blind mm-hmm. to this. Mm-hmm. And then this happens, and you're like, oh, they are. Oh, yeah. They are that blind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They absolutely are. So, you know, I think that that's, I, yeah. So,
1: we're both agreed that if we were down to Jim Lee, we'd fire Valparis, right?
0: Um, yeah, if we had that kind of power I would certainly be trying to figure out a way To get Harris out of there, honestly Who, if who I was would
1: you replace him with? I was thinking this is mine
0: Huh, that's really interesting um, Archie Goodwin <laughs> <laughs> Archie Goodwin's my like Default editor answer you, you, for anyone You know
1: who I'd replace him with? Hmm? Steve Walker
0: Oh, interesting. interesting I
1: genuinely would And right now people are listening and they're like What? You said his name But seriously I think he's a really good editor, and I think he has really good relationships with talent.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I would say that And also, um... I
1: think you could get him from Marvel. Do you think... I don't think you could get Tom Brevoort, for example, but I think you could get Steve Walker.
0: I don't know. I almost don't think think that's true at this point.
1: You you honestly don't think if you went, Steve, would you rather be the guy in charge of the Spider-Man books, or would you rather be the editor-in-chief of DC Comics?
0: Okay, so here's, here's my thing, and I could totally be wrong, but, um... I, I had two absolutely wonderful whatnots send me packages over the last five days, right? Sarah in Kansas actually sent me the first seven issues of Hawkeye because she was basically getting the trade or whatever, and she didn't want the floppies around. Uh, and Stephen um, up in Washington sent me the first ten issues of Daredevil, you know? Um, the so there's a there's a contingent of people two, online. Two
1: great Steve Walker
0: books. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of it. Like Steve Walker is, and this could totally change at any point. But he is basically doing the books that he, as far as I can tell, he wants to do, and he's making a go of them. Now I don't I don't think Morbius the Living Vampire is going to manage to make it up to those numbers, but Hawkeye, which was looking like a book that was not going to pull through in the marketplace. Its numbers seem to be operating going at the up. point, yeah, where it's yeah. it's going up. De- Daredevil's holding entirely solid, and those are idiosyncratic looking books. Um, sure, but at
1: the same time, you have got a Marbius, you have got a Punisher. I mean, Punisher's numbers were fucking horrendous.
0: Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. No, I I I don't think there's, and he's tried ways to like when he was trying to tie Punisher in with both Daredevil and Spider Man, and you know, he's done some other stuff. It hasn't it hasn't worked, and I don't think that he's entirely satisfied but i do think that that wacker is a guy who is able to mix the bigger projects and the smaller projects and for the most part get enough support for them to keep them going because um, honestly i think and and part of that could be i mean because honestly if you're talking about steve wacker you're talking about the guy who for whatever reason and, you know, stories vary, left 52, you know, left DC in the mid, the, In the while the 52 is going on. Um, and and in no small part, possibly from Clashing Heads with Dan DiDio. Dan DiDio is not going anywhere, you know. How sure. much he's actually doing is really up for grabs compared to what part of it is him and what part of it is Harris and what part of it is the culture and all that other stuff. Mm. But even if you're like, you know, so to me, honestly... I would an, an editor like Whacker, as long as his lines you can keep him off the internet. Um, I think is a is great, you know. I just don't think that Wacker you, Whacker think, that, in that, you particular,
1: think that that particular man yeah, would Yeah, think. that particular man
0: it, would not walk back into that lion's den at least, you know, at the very least while the deos around even if you're getting you, repairs. You,
1: but you need someone who has his eye for talent, his relationship with talent. Yeah. Yeah. and his ability to stay true to what he is interested in right. And I can't think of that many people at DC who, who are who do that. I, well yeah I can't well, think of any editors mm-hmm. that's not true. I can think of like I think Matt Idelson does but I think Matt Idelson's taste isn't as good for want of a better way put yeah. it yeah. Uh, will Moss maybe
0: yeah you know I would that's I, about it. I would I would head um, Matt Gagnon from boom is what I would do. I don't know if you could get him out of there. But you know he's a West Coast editor. He's worked with a lot of talent. He apparently has really good relations. He's got he's in a great relationship, unless things have changed, with Mark Wade, which allows him to to sort of spider out his base.
1: It has to be said, it, like one of the things that I was thinking when I was like, who would I if I could if I could like just ditch Bob Paris, who, mm-hmm. who would I go for? Mm-hmm. I, I was like someone who could bring Wade in, because mm-hmm. I, I was just like. Action Comics is
0: free right now. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. You know the one guy who should be writing Action Comics right now? It's probably Mark Wade.
0: Yeah. Yeah, actually, it's probably true. Although, I don't know. You know, I have to say, I'd be curious to see what Mark Miller would do at this point. Are you serious? Yeah, I kind of am. I kind of am. Well, he- okay, so here's the thing. I-, I don't know. As as you mentioned right right before we started talking in in an email, um, this is probably going to be like the all-news uh episode which is so ironic because i read so many comics um
1: <laughs> tough we're just doing i know i, I know so right well, like maybe yeah. i'll
0: squeeze it in at the very end but oh my god action comics 18 was just kind of amazing and there is the a way, way which
1: i was very curious what you think about that i i ended up reading it no joke three times in a row i i i read it, first it the first time i was like what the fuck was
0: that yeah it's pretty funny i was i was i was having i was having lunch with uh uh jerk kobeck and he was he was kind of like yeah so i read action 18 i'm like don't spoil it for me he's like i can't i
1: <laughs> i couldn't even start to spoil it yeah for you.
0: he's like spoiler there are panels of pictures side by side you know and that was about as far as he could go um and but i The first time that I read it, I felt weirdly keyed into it in a way, I think mainly just because, um, Morrison just went.
1: Oh, Morrison went for it. He was like, I've got... 29 pages.
0: Well, it, cause it's, it really is like, um, you know, when you do uh when you call an artist out for an encore and they do their greatest hits, but maybe they sometimes do it as a jumbled up medley. So you get all of them together. Yeah. That's what action 18 was for me. Cause it was like, he did action comics nine. He did action. He did, um, Superman beyond in it. He did all star Superman. He did a little bit of Batman, the return of Bruce Wayne in there. Like, it's like a fucking set list. Uh, to see what he's doing. And and I'm not necessarily, you know, in a way that it didn't quite have the shock of the new uh, for me, but that I don't think I would have understood what he was trying to do, or at least come up with a completely um, unreliable half-assed theory of what I thought he was trying to do. But everything that he was jamming in there was fucking amazing. Like, he really did the take The mark
1: it... of betrayal and exploitation, Jeff. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll make coins of you. Your ass a dollar sign. That particular bit was like, oh, shit. He's actually going back to that in his last issue. He's
0: going back to it. He's actually making the, the devil look like Mike Carlin in that panel, too, which I just think is a uh, stunner. And the whole thing of, like, he even answers why he doesn't, um, why this is all vindictive. Vindictive. Uh, Vindickavix yeah vindikovics and not Mitzelplik you know because at the end Grant Morrison's Mitzelplik which I think is awesome you know um, there is so much that's just sort of jammed in so if you know how to read it I, it's kind of like oh yeah it's not really that you know but I, I kind of adored it he got Superman Red and Superman Blue in there and like I,
1: I have to say I think the final line in the final page is just gorgeous
0: uh, oh yeah you should see the other guy
1: yeah, and just, um, but that with crypto licking them, and yeah, I am admittedly a complete dog person, mm-hmm. and so I'm a mark for this. Yeah, Morrison's use of crypto, yeah, throughout this uh, and the the horrors, the horror issue, the Halloween issue, mm-hmm. um, have just been great, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. have been uh, emotional and honest in a way that i feel the rest of the comic has lacked at times Mm, mm. there's something that i just really hook into with the the really simple one man and his dog like i i get choked up (laughs) this issue where they talk about crypto's spirit being broken Mm -hmm. and then the response is he'll just grow another one yeah like i I honestly was just like yes Yes, that's what dogs do because dogs are fucking awesome. Yeah, exactly. I I, I don't know what it was. There's something that completely undercuts my uh, intellectualizing of the issue Mm -hmm. every Mm -hmm. time that that you use crypto. And so, like, the the end of it is Superman saying you should see the other guy while his dog is just loving him. Yeah. I I just adore that. Yeah. I have to say, I thought the issue, like I said, I read it three times in a row.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, First time, I was really just like, what the fuck? Like, Mm -hmm. I, I don't even know what this is. I am so fucking confused by this. Mm-hmm. Um, Second time, I thought it was terrible. Oh, interesting! I was like, this is even more of a mess than the last issue. Mm-hmm. This is completely fragmented. This does not work as a single issue at all. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the narrative throughline, this is terrible. He doesn't explain it. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's this literally a jumble of images, and like you say, it greatest hits, but a greatest hits. Or a band you've never heard before mm, mm-hmm. so you're just like why are people what's this all about mm-hmm. um and the third time I was just oh I get it mm-hmm. it all makes sense and on an emotional level this completely lands for me oh yeah like basically when I stopped being like what does this mean
2: mm-hmm.
1: I was like oh I, I get it I get all of it hmm. um and when you read it with when you read it back to back with 17. Mm-hmm. And actually, all the way back to fourteen, because that's where this like arc starts. For a of better way of putting it, right? Um, it's great because yeah. it just the comic just continually speeds up and falls apart.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I would. I would love to. The only one I dragged out was it's like I I read eighteen did I read it twice? Uh, one of the, and either a third time with 17 right before it, or I reread 17 and 18 on my second read through. And it made me appreciate 17 more, of course, yeah. which made seven, me
1: 17 is great. And when you're, when you read 17 in sequence, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, it's so much better than I thought it was.
0: Yeah, exactly. It was kind of like, oh, okay. Okay. Uh, that makes a lot. Of sense. There's still some really weird leaps. Um, the whole thing with the the side of Vendikovic's you know, the shard of him that's yes, the it's, music it's, dude who's also the, basically uh, the comic book fanboy, essentially, you know in this, this sort of coded narrative was, like, I really was like, I don't know, have we seen, where did the yeah, fuck did he, we see he, him? He, where did he come from. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean And
1: also, I had a problem with Captain Comet and the Wanderers.
0: Oh, did you? Yeah, I was like, I
1: know what you're trying to do, but it just doesn't land.
0: Oh, interesting. I thought it half landed. Because, you know, because on the one hand, they show up, you know, they were there earlier, you, and I sort of realized, oh, the girl's one of the ones that gets recruited by Vindictivics and you think it's going to be blah, blah, blah. But also just the idea of, uh, again, they only exist for me in the sense of when they say, like, because of how much we owe Superman. And it was like, oh, right. Like it's literally like Superman
1: Yeah, you're you're not characters, you're metaphors for superheroes.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then at that point I was kinda like, Oh, okay, you know, and and they sort of more or less exist to I don't know, sort of point out their hollowness. Whereas if you have if you have a show if it it was actually the Justice League, which at one point it's very specifically pointed out that they're not, it would be
1: You'd be like, "What is the plot that I'm missing that the old Superman?"
0: Yeah, it's what, too specific. Yeah, it's, it's a little too specific, or even it's easier to overlook. Like, I think that that's the one where, um, to 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 nab a term from from you know Morrison's other big mega narrative, you know, it, that's the hole in the narrative that you're supposed to be you're supposed to be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. It, it draws attention to itself. But um, but
1: it has to be said, the last like this last issue really brought back for the first time since issue nine the metaphor of vindictivist as corporate culture and corporate dc in particular oh especially
0: like i said at one point he very clearly resembles mike carlin i think and that's like but but
1: also the part about the accounting is complex Yes, like I haven't paid out yet, but the accounting is
0: complex. Yeah, the accounting is complex. You're right. That actually, that's a brilliant one. The even the less subtle, like I will, y'all make, make, you know, I'll make dollar signs out of your s or whatever. You know, it's just it was. I have to say, oh, and weird tarot card imagery throughout that I thought was kind of interesting. I like, I dug it. I mean, I you know, it was. I I really picked it up with the lowest of expectations, which might have helped. But I'll be—I was kind of like, "Well, son of a bitch!" I don't think that I think as a, as swan songs go, it was a hell of a, a hell of a lot better than what I was expecting it was going to be. I mean, it still sort of makes me wish he had had more time and inclination and an environment where he was spinning yeah, out I, more Superman yeah. stuff. Yeah,
1: I, I wish that he had had more time to build it up. Mm-hmm. It still feels rushed.
0: Oh yeah. I, I still,
1: I still wish they had a bit more time.
0: Yeah, it still feels rushed, I, and it still feels there's just a variety of things that are set up there that just it's all. You know how a lot of people talk about Brian Bendis's work as being uh, sort of all potential and no story. You know, mm. um, I sort of feel like that that can be the case with Morrison's work, but in sort of in the tantalizing leave you wanting more kind of way and not in the pff, sure why don't you just throw angela in your series whatever i don't care kind of way <laughs> you really want to talk about that don't you? no not really but i mean i'm looking forward to <laughs> i'm looking i'm looking forward to making all sorts of like because really Spunky
1: comments i listen you're beginning to cut out for me so why don't we actually take a break and then come back
0: okay are we are we both going to try like cross our fingers and do full reboots and come back yeah yeah okay. so let's give ourselves like two minutes yeah uh, listeners,
1: we're not going to give you two minutes. There's going to be like the little musical interlude. Yes. Uh, and then we'll be right back.
0: Yes. Yes, we
1: are. Welcome and back, Brad. On you go, Jeff, I was going to say, and today we're going to be talking about Neil Gaiman and selling out.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh, finally. Thank God. Um.
1: Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank God he's finally sold out. No, I, all oh, the dude, time dude. I was like, hey, that guy, he's just so principled.
0: He's sold out a long time. What are you talking about?
1: Oh my I'm God. joking. Did you see his whole Blackberry thing that he was saying? Mm.
0: Uh, the videos he
1: was doing with BlackBerry?
0: No, I saw... I, I remember back when he was talking about how delighted he were, was when his books were on the Kindle. Uh, <laughs> for, like, the Kindle promotional thing, where he was And, like, of course,
1: there was that time where he he was keeping George Jack uh, George Kirby's legacy alive with the Eternals reboot.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, let's not forget the time that he actually fornicated with uh, Amanda Palmer, so repeatedly unto the point of marriage <laughs> in Michael Chabon's rumpus room so you know
1: oh I feel like that is like the most like McSweeney's-esque name dropper the way that you could put that
0: <laughs> I suppose you're right when you put it that way uh, you know I thank you let me go I gotta check that off the bucket list okay <laughs> I'll be right back uh yeah uh, Jeff Angela in Age of Ultron you know what before we do Before we do, because I I agree, I've been dying to get to this, but I sort of worry, in case we run out of time, let's... I want to just say, because we started with Action Comics, I want to say it was a phenomenally good week for comics. Like, the comics industry is shitting its its pants. Yeah, but like, in terms of Action Comics 18 was great, I thought Batman and Robin 18, which I picked up the other week, the Requiem issue, which was wordless... Um, Saga was terrific. Yep. Uh, Private also, Eye will be...
1: The Private Eye, yeah.
0: Yeah, Private Eye will be talking about. Jennifer Blood, which came out, which I thought was just... Jennifer
1: Blood was amazing, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, just awesome. Um, I enjoyed, uh, Five Ghosts, which hopefully I'll get a chance to talk about. Even Archer and Armstrong, number eight, was just... Like, there was a lot of good stuff. A lot, oh, and, um, you talked about it last week, but holy shit, the art by, um... Uh, in in Naki Miranda on um to Judge Dredd in Prague, uh, eighteen twenty four. This oh, week's yeah. two thousand yeah. AD. Yeah. with the colors by Eva de la Cruz. Fucking awesome! Like that sort of. At first, I was like, "Ah, Judge Dredd is too stringy and and af- dancery. No. But then, when all no, the it, Paul it's... Popey stuff kicked yeah. in, and the storytelling was so clean, and it was like five pages of like pure chase scene, but still had. Plot and stuff in it. I just fucking thought it was great.
1: I, I'm going to throw another couple of um, things that have been going on for a while mm-hmm. onto your list there. Uh, Daredevil, obviously, really good. Daredevil is just an, at a great place right now. Right. Justice League this week was surprisingly strong. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is the first time that Jeff Johns has done the cliched let's expand the team issue. Mm. He does it really well, in part because um, Jesus Size is his guest artist. Ah. Uh. Who just draws really nice character acting,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but I'm really interested by the three additions to the team mm. because it's Element Woman and a new female Atom and Firestorm. Huh. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm weirdly fascinated by the, and, and Hickman's doing this over in Avengers as well. The way that you bring the diversity into a team when you are stuck in a retro period mm-hmm. is to essentially change who the like keep the name the same and change the character. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so Higman's doing it to a lesser extent because I don't think anyone really was like, I really hope there's a new Smasher in Captain Universe. Right. But I think in doing maybe not metamorpho so much, but the Atom I think is a really interesting choice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh and in general it was just a really strong superhero issue. Uh, however this week also saw the release of Constantine issue one Ooh. which uh, you'll be happy to know I got a preview copy of
0: oh man
1: um, that's a comic I'm glad I didn't pay two ninety nine for yeah I can imagine <laughs> yes. that, that bad oh, huh oh, yeah. um, but wait, it's much better than the preview pages they put oh
0: in. see I was afraid that it was going to live just living up no, to no the no the, no the
1: preview—it's was... it, one. It, the preview pages are clearly the worst part of the book mm-hmm. the point where you're like I don't know why they made those the preview pages those are terrible. <laughs> um, but overall, it is very to day. It is very yeah I really love Hellblazer. yeah, no, no, I, I totally i of course, I've read Hellblazer, right? It's the guy and he smokes and like he's really unlucky and he's a magician, right yeah i can I can totally do that I was Talked actually to, like the worst <laughs> it's closer to Constantine the movie than it is Hellblazer it? oh jeez, oh jeez, man, and that's why it's called Constantine, but it does, and I know that everyone has always, always always wished this. Uh, it does finally add on the blurb before the name of the comic inside that Hellblazer always missed. Oh, great. Do you know what I mean? Like, they have the little, like, you know, here's the potted history of the character mm-hmm. DC Comics presents. Nearly destroyed by its temptations in his youth, John Constantine knows the price of magic's corrupting influence all too well. Now, he fights the battle to maintain balance and prevent anyone from becoming too powerful.
0: Wow, well, that kind of gives it away a little too much, wouldn't you say?
1: (laughs) It's like, on-the-nose theater presents.
0: Right. Well, I mean, even more just on-the-nose theater. It's like, it's, it's also the, you know, hey, here's my, you know my my two-sentence pitch being reduced down to the character blurb. Like, so I suppose that's... Here's,
1: here's my two-sentence pitch being my two-sentence pitch.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, which is kind of like, oh, okay, so if the idea is that Constantine is preventing anyone from getting too powerful, that's a slightly different take on the character. You know what I mean? Like, that's a way to do the character that that necessitates his, well, like...
1: Well, it, it, it puts him into a heroic role.
0: Right. It's a heroic role, but allows him to act like an antihero. Because it sort of <laughs> means, like... Oh, in theory, anyone who gets into a certain level of power, he's gonna take him down a peg. Not because he's a bat you know, like putting him in that real I don't know. It's it, it it's it's both two on the nose and it's kind of like, oh, okay, like well, you know, for those of us who were going to pick up the book wondering how this Constantine character was different from the other one, then No, you know.
1: Yeah. I, I would say the 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 worst part for me is the nearly destroyed by his temptations and his youth. Mm. I, I something I always liked about Hellblazer mm-hmm. was that that was even when they did the flashback series, that was kind of a nebulous thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? They were they were never like it was never that blunt. It was never that okay. I was I did a lot of magic in my youth and it kind of fucked me up. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and, and that, yeah, yeah. I don't. know, I just feel it. I feel that's the part that feels too on the nose for me. Oh. Like I I am weirdly okay with the he's stopping anyone from becoming so powerful because I guess I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's the like, blurb. You've got to give him a mission statement in those things. Sure,
0: sure. Well, and that's it. I guess it works right. It gives him this mission statement, but it's like, yeah, I don't know. I it, To me, I'm sort of like the, eh, destroyed by the temptations in his youth sort of thing. I'm kind of okay with that because, it, A, it makes sense to me that, you know, with Constantine's first appearance in Swamp Thing, that was you know they actually kind of had to lift that uh, remove that away from the character as time went on in the hellblazer mm-hmm. series you know mm-hmm. which i think was uh to his to the character's betterment admittedly um but also i guess just by keeping it you know somewhat nebulousy you know like just saying oh Temptations Magic Youth like it, it means that they can change things up it may not necessarily be specifically Newcastle and it may just be you know more of
1: I have the horrible feeling that they've actually already revealed it in Justice League Dark
0: oh really That
1: yeah I, th- I think they've done flashbacks to like his punk days and everything mm. except it's not punk now it'll be like you know punk the punk revival back when Green Day were playing <laughs> Exactly. Well, punk makes that would be so... the best.
0: Like, John, John, hey, hold on, mate. I gotta turn down this blink eighty two one eighty two. What were you talking about? Like that would be like the fucking most awesome revival of Constantine ever. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Tune it down a little bit, man. The the, the outcaster plane. Um wow. That would hurt so much. That would just be like
1: mm. Oh, you've you've just made me sad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've made the world sad, and the best part is, in such a way that I can probably get that book as soon as "What's His Fuck" is off it. So I'm. Yeah,
1: true. Like Jeff Lemire and Ray Fox, so let's face it, they'll be off issue ten.
0: Right. So I got it's a not... chance on it before it's canceled <laughs> oh, yeah. at issue fourteen.
1: All you have to do is get any comic in print. Yeah, between now and
0: then, and be like, yeah, I really feel like I understand, like, the roots of the character, and the character is really just, I mean, he's somebody who grew up during the the heyday of MTV's TRL, you know what I mean?
1: (laughs) No, all you've got to do is be like, you want me to pitch this DC? And just send him a pitch, like, whatever you want.
0: Right, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I will do whatever you want. Well, that's it, that is how you pitch DC. Plot! (laughs) What am I? A writer? Dialogue. <laughs> however you want it. Yeah, dialogue. Snappy. Snappy. I can do snappy, or I can do peppy. Sometimes I can do pep snappy with an undercurrent Sometimes of sad. I can
1: do grim. Do you like grim? I I can do grim. <laughs> That's I can right. Do foreboding as well. That's grim right.
0: And foreboding,
1: that might that might work out.
0: I'm 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 Ned also the... really good at grim snappy. Uh... Which actually, it so,
1: was a great image character.
0: Once. I was going to say, grim, snappy. They should have. He should have totally have been the Rick Jones of the Image verse. You know? Oh man! Or, or the Snapper Car like somebody who just followed around like Blood Hawk, and like, well, looks like that guy's not going to be helping you with his AIDS. <laughs> anyway. Oh uh,
1: God! Hey, Image Comics. Spawn, Angela, let's go! Oh
0: yeah, Angela. So, did you did you find out in in your various internet um, ways? Is it a Gaiman and McFarlane share ownership of Angela? Uh, here's what I found out.
1: Yeah, that, or, or rather, they Jan- both. January last year. Yeah, they settled the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. The, se- the only part of the lawsuit that is well, the settlement that is public mm-hmm. is that Spawn. The issues of Spawn and Angela Angela Pearson are co-owned by Gaiman and McKeen, the uh, oh, okay. and McFarlane. All right, okay. The ownership of the character part was never publicly addressed, mm-hmm. but according to Rich Johnson, he has asked the appropriate people,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they have all confirmed that Gaiman owns Angela solo.
0: I I believe that that makes uh, that makes
1: a certain amount of sense to me. Here is the fascinating thing: mm-hmm. tomorrow, my, uh, Michael Duran from Newsarama is talking to Todd McFarlane about this. Oh, man. And I have told him that I really, 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 really wish I was on that call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that would be the
0: greatest call ever. Yeah. 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 That would be kind of fantastic, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. I, so... So, Angela, uh, the thing is... is I first th- of all, hey,
1: aren't you glad that Angela's coming back? I know that the internet has been really calling out for the return oh of that my character. my God.
0: Well, I, what I love about Angela is it seems like just such a parody of what Marvel does, you know? Like, it's like, this is what we do. We have to end with something big or we have to bring someone big back. And the idea that they're doing Angela is hilarious because...
1: I, I, I love that Angela is Pandora.
0: <laughs> that actually would be great. I mean, no, but well,
1: she is. She's reappearing at the end of a crossover, the altered reality.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's
1: then going to go on a tour throughout the Marvel universe. Oh, books.
0: Right, 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 right. Huh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, it depends on. It depends on. To me, the the way that maps is if there's actually a reboot or not. You know,
1: I mean, well, and it doesn't really matter. There is definitely some form of. Um, Maybe, I, no, there's got to be a form of reboot. If we believe Marvel, mm-hmm. that Age of Ultron issue 1 and 2 happens in the regular universe, they have to reboot. They mm-hmm. have
0: to. Well, sure. Right. Absolutely. They do, because, of course, everything's destroyed. So um, they, they probably need a, a reboot of some sort. Although, I don't know, you know, would you call what happened after the end of Fear itself a reboot? And... I mean, not really, but you still managed to get.
1: But they didn't actually, like, they reversed individual things, but not the entire thing. Mm -hmm. Like, in order for Age of Ultron, for the Marvel Universe to continue post Age of Ultron, they will actually have to undo the entire thing. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs)
1: That's a reboot.
0: We'll see. You know, to me, it's it's just more the idea of, like, yeah, this is our big thing. And I think the big thing is. Hilarious, um because why well,
1: I, I do you not think Angela's a swerve,
0: no, actually because I, I, I think that it is the opposite of a swerve, I think
1: what they did because they couldn't get miracle man,
0: yeah, I think they got they were at the point where it's like we've got to do something, we can't we've got to have Marvel Man. And it just nothing was in place, and I honestly think that Gaiman either—I don't think it was contractually. I think that it was just him sort of being a stand-up guy, being like, "Look, I feel really bad about this. I was totally sure that we could make this happen, um, and you know, I don't want to, you know, endanger my relationship with with Moore or any of this sort of stuff. Blah 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 blah. But I've got I've got Angela. How about we use Angela? You know, I, yeah, exactly.
1: I've got this useless piece of IP that I sued Neil Gaiman for ever." in Berlin for a decade. Right. Do you want it?
0: Yeah. You know? Um, and so I think that he kind of, they kind of have this thing. He's, it's like, yeah, let's, let's do this. I can, you can do, you know, and I'm sure they were kind of like, yeah, it's a weird enough concept. We'll like turn it into an event. Um, and it's something that really is genuinely unexpected. And again, it's sort of
1: at that <laughs> it's point, unexpected until they release it in the fucking New York times two months ahead of time
0: well but i i have to think that that is one of those situations where rich with his little angela missive um got nabbed and they decided to to spin it i don't i don't i could be wrong but i I, think
1: i think if they did they're crazy did you see did you see anyone actually go oh they're bringing
0: in angela yeah, actually it was it was in it was in the comments to your entry.
2: Really? Yes. Oh my. Yeah,
0: when you were like, "Oh, Rich doesn't want I just I think I know the end of this event." Of course it hasn't started, and somebody pointed out that it, that the paragraph spelled out Angela. So that was that was 2 that days, you- 3 days before before the rest of it tipped. Yeah,
1: but do you think people boo? I don't know. Like I feel like anyone on the internet can guess anything, but I don't think it I don't think it gained Coherence or momentum, I think, is what I mean. To say, I don't. Uh, yeah. I don't think enough people were like, sure.
0: Well, I think I think that it started to come out, and people were like, huh. And I think they decided to to try and get out ahead of it.
1: But that, that's what I mean. Like, I think they jumped the gun.
0: Well, they might have. I, sure. I
1: think if they hadn't done this, like, people would be like, it's Angela. At the same time, they're like, it's Hank Pym becoming Ultron. It's Miracle Man coming back. See, I,
0: right, exactly. The, you know,
1: the Ultimates. I think. But I don't I, think there was enough. See,
0: there. yeah, I, th- I think, I think, I think there was enough of it that they went, well, the game's fucked. Like I don't, or rather, I think there was, Like I can see why you think it was premature, and I think there's a case to be made for it. I'm just saying that if you ask me, if Rich had not written that story in that way, then I do no not. One done. No one would. I think. I think Marvel would have kept it mum on it. I really do. I think. they I think they've decided that they were.
1: Good. I, he, I guess I don't know. I feel it was going to come out for the next month.
0: Could be, could be. Well,
1: you know. it had to because Neil Gaiman's co-writing the Guardians of the Galaxy issue that's going to be the next solicits.
0: Yeah, but you know, you can get away with something on that. That I would you have actually you, went Angela? You get away with? Would you have thought yep. Angela? You would have thought Marvel Man. It would have been an I even guess, bigger I guess. swerve. I yeah, think that's, that's worse. Well, and I think that's the other reason why it seems like you a
1: good have, idea to you do think this. Make, you actually make people think that Mar- uh, Marvel Man's come back, and then it's Angela. A high backlash. (laughs) Like, that would be terrible.
0: Um, Yeah, well, and I think that may have been the sort of thing where they were like, oh, wait. And that could have been the other thing is they thought they were leading for something and then they were it wasn't going to work out. So Um, I don't know. I could be wrong. But I I definitely think they went the route that they did. And it really does have that that hilarious I don't know it's just like um, this is going to be like the show me up as the most um, uh, wh- what is it classist jerk possible so I apologize oh, do it. In the I know this is all you're like oh I always get comfortable when Jeff says something like this
1: oh, no, like, I, I, I'm going to say something ridiculous later as well so I, I'm very comfortable with you saying something
0: else okay well mine I think we'll see how you react to it basically but my thing is, is like it kind of reminds me of like there was a place here in San Francisco that was a pizza delivery place that would also deliver hamburgers and french fries and chicken. And I was just like, then you're just a a stuff place. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, you're not a pizza like It's not a pizza joint if you're also delivering hamburgers. But this is the kind of thing that actually people at some points dig. They dig the pizza joint that delivers everything else that they want to. And it's usually fried stuff. And I'm like, just kill me one entree at a time you know what i mean like if i'm going around pizza i want pizza so the idea that angela is going to pop up at the age of ultron is like absurd to, i can't think of anything stupider than her popping up in age of ultron like just for me like just that's a thing like if if maybe this was the doctor strange age of Dormammu like crossover yeah
1: exactly I, there, there there's nothing in age of ultron that you think of course an angel is going to show up at the right, end. Right,
0: an angel in a thong is going to show up. Awesome. She
1: might not be in a thong. She's she... being redesigned by Joe Casada to strip all of Todd McFarlane's contributions out.
0: Oh, of course, of course, which totally makes sense. Which, then... is,
1: which is my, which leads into my ridiculous thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I is... have never, never felt sorry for Todd McFarlane before this. Never. I feel really bad for Todd McFarlane. Oh, no, you anyways.
0: shouldn't. You should not never feel, let me tell you, never feel sorry for Todd McFarlane. I think if there's one lesson that I've learned, separate and apart from reading those couple of pages from Rob Liefeld's screenplay, um, <laughs> I've never felt such... So because you know what it is? Do you remember that story that Rick Feach talked, set, told where he like um, he and a couple of other artists like showed up? Maybe when they were doing the 1963 project, they like showed up to talk to Todd McFarlane and he put them to work inking. That's hilarious. He basically it's just tragic, had. He just said, "Just sit down hilarious. and just start inking." And they were like, "And so we did." And we thought maybe it'd be like a fun thing for us to do while we talked realized to him. He
1: was just using
0: us. He, he, he didn't pay them, and he didn't talk to them. They just sat there and inked things. Them. You know. So well, exactly, Graham. So you're like, oh, I really feel sorry for that guy. He's like I don't I feel
1: I do. I... He, here's why. Yes, you strip away Tom McFarlane being a complete dick. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have a guy who leaves Marvel Comics Mm -hmm. for creations of his own characters. Sure. Co-creates this character with Neil Gaiman. Which all the litigation aside, he still did. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Okay? Then loses control of that character to Neil Gaiman, who takes the character and gives it to Marvel Comics. Yeah. Like that's sad. Do you know what I'm Like, there's some, like, weird, bitter irony in there.
0: Well, oh, sure, there's weird, bitter irony, but I don't think that that's... I mean, it's totally, like... You know, like, I don't know how to. Six and one half dozen another, you know? So it's like the guy kills the king and sleeps with his mom and tears his eyes out, you know? On the one hand.
1: <laughs> wait, wait, wait. That's meant to make me feel better about everything. Well, I mean, I just it's mean, like. this guy murder someone. Yeah. No, what's the problem? What's the, what's the problem?
0: Well, no, no. I just. I'm agreeing with this, Jeff. Um, I guess what I'm saying is is that, that essentially Todd McFarlane, like, more than anybody other dude out there.
1: More than any other dude who deserves to get screwed, Todd McFarlane says, because he became the man? Is no, the I, do, I, do,
0: I don't mean so much that he needs to be, that he, he that he deserves to be screwed, as much as it's inherent, like, it, the tragic flaw is in his character. Like, how many, I mean, just between you and me, I'm willing to bet, based on things that Joe Casada said, uh, and based on things that Todd McFarlane has said, that... McFarland gets called once or twice a year and offered enormous amounts of money to do a Spider-Man spawn crossover. Yes. And to his, you know, quote unquote credit, which I, I will even take the quotes away to his credit. He never did that. You know, he never did it. Now he turned around and a lot of those guys turned around and treated other creators, uh, as, as badly as they've been treated. Exactly. As yeah. work for higher wage hands. But because yeah. it was not, because they actually didn't take the time, slash, et cetera, et cetera, to do the rest of the work, to, to essentially come up with the contracts that you have to sign on the back of the check or whatever, he ends up losing all 100% of the control of Angela. And this is after, this is not, this is not some stage like he had every opportunity to sit down at that negotiating table with Gaiman, who more or less at various points admitted that this was not necessarily his prime cause. It, it was it very much came after basically McFarlane yanked Neil Gaiman's chain around for years. For the better part of a decade, Gaiman has said, and I tend to believe his line of events, it was like, Todd promised me Miracle Man if I could get Angela, you know. Now, the thing that's hilarious about it is, is if you look back, we now know with perfect hindsight, asso-vision, that Gaiman was willing to give away half of Angela for all of nothing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. those rights meant nothing. But not only did... no, yeah, we... it's fair. No one knew that. But that. no one knew that at the time. But not only did McFarlane not know it, but this is what I'm saying... Graham, he didn't know that it was his mother that he was sleeping with. You know what I mean? Like this I'm, is a... I'm, so, I'm really sorry. I'm still not following. This. I'm just saying. I'm saying that a. <laughs> Todd McFarlane's tragic flaw brought him low. B. The gods from Olympus have taught us all a lesson. And C. I am what perfectly they, happy. What What's... lesson have they taught us? I would say that the lesson that with that we've that that they have learned, at least in this particular case, is um. Don't the, the, buy the baseballs of somebody who is a known doper. No, uh, no wait, that's not it. That's one of the other ones. What, what, the lesson is Don't what, name a gangster it's... after a known hot... See, this is it. It goes on and on with Todd McFarlane. No, it doesn't
1: no, stop. What, are you what is the lesson?
0: I would say that, the, well, uh, for me, the lesson is don't fight... For your creative control and then assume that that fight literally ends with you and you have no obligations to anyone else who comes after you including the people who work for you that I that that's the that's the one that I'll stick with you're like okay so I just I still feel bad for him (laughs) I I do
1: like, I'm not even arguing with you, but part of it. No, is, I know. Like, Your empathic like,
0: nature, I understand.
1: I, I've had this weird thing where I'm like, if Gaiman had sold the character to anyone else, or given the character to any other publisher, mm-hmm. it would be a dick move. Mm-hmm. Giving it to Marvel to use at the end of the... Not even, like, for the plot end of their event, but as a fucking bumper at the end of their event. Mm-hmm and then to tour the
0: Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm.
1: Feels especially dickish.
0: Uh, see, this is my thing. I think he's trying to be a stand-up guy. I think he's trying to make up for them for the whole Mar- Miracle Man, Marvel Man uh, thing. I think, I on I, and I could be wrong, it could be something else. He could be just be like, I need extra money for reasons having to do with, I don't know, I don't, I'm, I'm going to make. I, I want to make. you were going to make an Amanda Palmer. Show. I was, and I realized it wasn't really appropriate. Um, not because I don't like Amanda Palmer, because I, I don't really. Um, I
1: was having this conversation with Kate today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, about about not liking Amanda Palmer. Yeah, yeah. I but you know, but I also kind of feel like it's sort of like that's something that I've made noise. Of. I, clearly, she's doing fine monetarily speaking on her own. So it's not. It's not really.
1: I, no, the, other, the other thing is Even if she wasn't She would not be ashamed In asking someone For her money On her own behalf Right exactly like, Yeah
0: Right And I think that was it I was trying to figure out A way to make a joke That would tie that in And I couldn't really do it Without a way That would have just come off As like You know I, I hate Amanda Palmer Because I'm a big sexist Like I'm probably A sexist And um, And and I don't like Amanda Palmer But I didn't want to Mix those two streams together Because it that, that's confusing.
1: That's what I was talking To Kate about today about that you can dislike Amanda Parma without being so genetic.
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: Like, you can actually just legitimately dislike her. That's, <laughs> that's fine. It yeah. doesn't make, mean you're doing so because, like, you are the man. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, um, sure, but, that being but said, I, I don't know,
1: I just... There, I, I, there's something about... Like, because this is a loaded character. Like, <laughs> even if... Like, for me, a stand-up thing would be more if Gaiman agreed to create a new character or give them use of another character? Or, do you know what I mean? And something like, Angela is a particularly loaded character?
0: Kind of, in a sort of worthless way. I mean, you know. I, yeah, no, it's true, because I mean,
1: really, who cares
0: about Angela? Yeah, I mean, that's it. To me, it's kind of, it's not, it's that is not especially loaded at, in in that sense. And who knows, for all we but, know, they could have done Angela's, some sort of, yes.
1: Angela's sole value, as far as I can see, is the controversy at this point.
0: Well, now. now. Now it is. I mean, you know. I mean, I remember back in the 90s where Angela was actually a very, very valid property, you know? Like, <laughs> I love this stunned silence on your end. Um,
1: no, 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 you disappeared and then you came back. I son of a bitch! Always, That's always what I was like worried about! Time.
0: All your dramatic pauses are always, like, drop out, <laughs> so. Um, no,
1: no, 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 some of them are actually dramatic pauses, Jeff.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, that's good. I, I'm glad. Anyway, uh, yeah, Angela, um, I think that it's really silly, just sort of the same way that you can get a couple of hamburgers and, like, a burrito delivered with your pizza is silly. But, you know, <laughs> even more so because I don't especially like that burrito. So
1: <laughs> I don't know. I just I, – I really hope it's a swear as well because it's like this is Marvel's idea of this is fucking amazing. Only eight people in the company know this. Part of me is just like – why would anyone else need to know this?
0: Right. Right. Like this
1: this is dull.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, I I I I it is kind of dull. But I think A Mar- Marvel really thinks that they can push it and B maybe there is something else that Angela is bringing in there. She's
1: bringing Neil Gaiman. Within- That's what she's bringing, Jeff.
0: Well, yes, but I don't really think the last eight pages of, of Age of Ultron are going to be like, you know, Angela. being
1: being like, have you met my creator? <laughs> exactly. Creator? I've, I've got, I've checked legally. No one else was involved. Have you seen my <laughs> new jacket? It's lovely. Uh, here, here is Neil Gaiman. Luke, he has not changed. He has a bit more gray, but he's still the guy who did Sandman. Sandman, which you can't buy from us. But Sandman, it's a great comic, but don't buy it. But that's just that, like it's. I don't know. I really think that this is, this is them being like, "Hey, so Neil Gaiman, right? I mean, Angela, sure, but Neil Gaiman, he's he's co-writing Guardians See, of the Galaxy issue
0: 5. I Great. think they learned their lesson from sixteen oh two, and it was like, and the Eternals, and they're like Neil Gaiman and Angela, you know, because I think they are. They're like,
1: <laughs> well, it has to be said, Neil Gaiman's work for Marvel so far. Can we politely say it's shit?
0: Yeah. Sure. That the best part is I agree with you. That is the polite way to say it. So Yeah, cuz I
1: mean it's really it's it's terrible.
0: Let's yeah, underwhelming I think would be the would be a generous way of That's true.
1: I, of underwhelming it. Is, underwhelming is genuinely the polite way. Of Although saying. who
0: was I reading recently who was talking about how much they liked 1602 because of how much basically how much um, world-building and how many ideas Gaiman threw away in the course of making the book. Do you, does this sound familiar to you? I swear not, to God this was... No, not at all. But I'm, Part of me is like, are they being sarcastic? No, I don't think that they were, but... Here's it,
1: my, here's my <laughs> idea of world-building in 1602. So, how can I change the spelling of this familiar Marvel Comics character... To make it seem ye oldie. Hmm. <laughs> ye oldie. The Peter end. Parker. That is six
0: With two R's. Exactly. Peter Parker. <laughs> that's that's great.
1: Yeah. Peter Parker. Yeah. Luke. It's ye oldie Wolverine,
0: everyone. <laughs> ye oldie
1: Wolverine. <laughs> oh, six minutes. So it was a smashing pile of shit.
0: No, I thought so too. I don't know who it was. I want to say, I'm tempted to say it was somebody like Brandon Graham, which is not to make it sound like I'm dissing Brandon Graham at all, everybody, but but it was it was like kind of a weird, unexpected, but sort of makes sense because it's like somebody who's sort of like I can definitely way see Brandon Graham Yeah, exactly. You know, so I can I, see that appealing to. Him. Yeah, without without it being a sarcastic thing. So uh, anyway, yeah, I basically do think that, that that yeah, the Neil Gaiman thing, I'm like that is not going to be.
1: Uh, no, but I I, I I think so, that's going to be their selling point. I think sure. that's definitely how they got it in the fucking New York Times.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I i
1: agree i guess what i, I think is spectacular mm-hmm. is seeing uh marvel's various social media repeating comments from people in response to this today and they're like i can't i'm so happy that you guys have brought new Gaiman back to comics i haven't read his <laughs> stuff in years and maybe like dc must be fucking killing themselves
0: right right well that's it because they're like son of a
1: bitch yeah, we're like, fucking it's doing sandman again with them we yeah. it so last year did all of you miss that I yeah mean, exactly
0: we <laughs> Old yes, you people, is. but you know, really, it could work out better for it'll work out better from DC if they play their cards right.
1: Right? Well, you mean if if Gaiman essentially raises his comics profile again, and then it's... yeah, exactly.
0: And then they're like, people are like, "Oh, I read this Guardians of the Galaxy by Gaiman, and it was interesting, but it if wasn't." If
1: only he really... did an overlong, ponderous comic.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, if only they did something that was like Sandman, but like with you know less of the vigor. Is there going to be anything like that coming out anytime soon? And then, you know, the comic book person like, yes. will be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Stop talking to me. Just yeah, buy your exactly. books and leave.
1: I have to tell you, uh, Marvel does a podcast called This Week in Marvel. Mm. Is that the um, one with
0: Blair Butler? No,
1: no. It's uh, it's uh, Ben Morse and Ryan Pentecost and other people. Ah, okay. Um, but they have, to accompany the Age of Ultron issues, they do an episode where it's Tom Brevard and an assistant editor talking <laughs> about that that week's issue of Age of Ultron. I shit you not Tom Brevard himself is making jokes About how slow the comic is (laughs) In In the one for issue two He literally jokes that issue three Is going to be Captain America Walking across a room and deciding that he wants A sandwich and issue four Is going to be Hawkeye going to get him the sandwich
0: No really
1: I swear to god he makes that joke himself Oh my god Wow Wow Shit, man. it's kind of amazing
0: yeah well oh my god uh yeah so that i mean that's the thing i so this is part of why i'm like i am sort of like yeah the private eye like the private eye may not be the best news in the history of comics ever
1: oh but this week it certainly feels like it
0: it really is kind of uh well at least there's there is some alternative to be excited about and i have to say i enjoyed that comic i did it was it was it, it's funny you know, I tried talking about Hibbs with this. I was like, I was like, he was like, "Well, what do you think of it?" I'm like, "Well, okay, you know those people who like actually criticized Saga, you know, whose criticisms of Saga were and he's like, "Saga's our best-selling book." And I'm like, "No, no, no, no. no. I I know. You're, I know you think it's great, but I'm saying like you know how the criticism, some people criticize Saga for being he's like, and he just—I couldn't get past that sentence at every point. So let me try it again, Graham. Uh, you know how some people criticize Saga for being like a little too. Hey, Jeff,
1: too... Jeff, Jeff! You know that Saga is the best song book right?
0: <laughs> I do have to say, it is stunning. He was talking about how much that trade paperback has sold for them. Is it's a it's a stunner. It really is. It's pretty impressive. Like that is. I'm not even actually. I I let me just pretend that this was on a comic store NDA, so I can't really. I'll tell you offline, but but <laughs> it's it's impressive. So, and and they're moving a lot of copies, which is great for them and also for. In fact, for him, he's like this. We haven't seen movement like this since Sandman. Really, this could be our next Sandman. Um, well, that's that's great. Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: it's. Is it not weirdly nice that it's like a creator-owned book and a kind of quiet creator-owned book? Mm-hmm. By yeah. that, I mean, there's not really a lot of publicity for Saga after it launched.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Uh, apart from a bit more of the, wow, hey, it continues to sell kind of stuff. like
1: yeah. yeah, but even that is kind of relatively quiet. It's not like, I feel like Robert Kirkman is always around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it, he's always like, He's talking about the latest episode of *Walking Dead* on TV. He's talking about the latest shocking issue of the *Walking Dead* comic. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And I feel like Brian Gavon just isn't. I feel like Saga just sells because people like Saga.
0: People like it, but it's but and it's interesting. Like if you read the the letter column in this um, in 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 this issue, uh, it backs up what I seem what I think I've seen a lot, which is people like Saga in a way that they turn around and int- instantly try and introduce their friends to, you know, like yes. it, it, yes. it has, a, um, without trying to, trying to create that consciously, uh, or pimp for that. It, it, it has, uh, created a lot of very activist readers, which I remember having with, uh, the walking dead too. Um, and which I don't think it needs to do anymore, but, um, but but saga in at at like a much higher pitch much earlier on um so i think that's i think that's pretty freaking great so, which brings us to the Private Eye, which is a digital-only comic um, by uh, Marcos Martín and Brian K. Vaughn, uh, and with colors—amazing colors! I really
1: like eye-popping colors.
0: Oh my God! Yeah, just—I wanted to—I wrote down Munza Vicente's name so that I could give—I uh, want to say her a proper shout-out because um, the Private Eye, part of part of what makes it just. Absolutely phenomenal, I think is that color palette you know which seems to be both a sort of design you know because they're making noises like it's only going to be digital it it really is uh, after seeing those colors, I find it really hard to imagine how they would actually collect it otherwise because because that color is pops:
1: yeah exactly I can't imagine that color in print it's so just it bright. What mm-hmm. a better way of putting it. it yeah. It's it's any any version of print would make that dollar.
0: Yeah, yeah, and um and and therefore that allows them to pull some amazing effects when they mute it down as well. So, uh, I, I think that's huge news. I'll be really curious. I mean, it's got a lot of challenges to overcome, especially if they're going to be doing ten issues. Like, I don't know. Vaughn strikes me as a very smart guy. I don't know if he will be doing any sort of publicity. You know, to tie, sync up with the later you know, issues.
1: What I was very surprised was it felt like there wasn't a lot of publicity for this first issue. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like publicity were people going, holy shit, that's real. Right. Well, uh, And I wonder if that's going to be the model. I, because it, that doesn't seem sustainable after the first issue. Well,
0: and that's it. I think that's what we'll have to find out. What I find interesting is it seems to me, although I could be wrong, that Vaughn is at least interested enough or enough of a study that he looked at um, what happened with Monkey Brain, you know, where Monkey Brain made their announcements about their books and that the books were going to be like, you know, a month off or two months off or whatever it was. And then they were like, no, 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 they're available now. (laughs) Oh, no.
1: Well, yeah, but Monkey Brain did it like two days ahead.
0: Yeah. But, you know, and so they had, you know. Like,
1: literally, like, literally they they made the announcement on the second and it was meant to go in the fourth.
0: Right. Right, so I mean, and when they got the response, they're like, "Okay, we're doing it now." So they did, yeah. they did teaser images of the book on Monday, and then Tuesday it dropped, and I and I was like, "Wow, that's kind of," um, on the one hand, it strikes me as really smart, but yeah, I have no idea how they're going to what they're going to do in order to keep that sort of momentum up. I mean, just the fact that there's not a, um, well, I guess there is. Yeah. I you know, if nothing else they've got a they didn't mention anything about emailing us to let us know when the second issue is available, you know, yeah. which is just like then like it gets harder and harder to do these grassroots movements kind of things over the, a longer period of time, I think. So I'll be very curious to see what it does, how it sustains, what kind of money they end up making in the first issue.
1: Yeah, um, I I don't think we'll ever get an answer to those, sadly. Probably
0: not. Probably not. Although, uh, unless it's a smash success, in which case we will. You know what I mean?
1: Well, I, no. We will, I don't think we'll ever find out how much money. Well, I don't know. I, no, I think we'll get a best of ballpark Like, it was more successful for us than if we'd done print or something. We will sure. never get a dollar for it. Yeah, that. you'll never ever. be like,
0: they, we made $250,000 on the first issue.
1: Yeah. It will always be nebulous. It will always be, yeah, it did really well for us. Right. Well, that's Because, true. because the reality is this. It will not make them a lot of money.
0: Yeah, that's actually what hip seems to think, too. I'm not sure, honestly.
1: It won't. The problem with uh, doing a pay as go mm-hmm. like that is... For all the people who are going to give a lot of money, mm-hmm. and I paid upwards of what I would pay for a regular comic mm-hmm. for it, because I want to support
0: it. Right.
1: You're going to get people who won't. <laughs> you're going to get people who will pay nothing. Yeah.
0: No, 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 absolutely. As I think... Um, uh Hibbs and I spent some time uh, uh, bopping about looking at the results for um is it was it Hail to the Thief the Radiohead album yeah. that they released yeah. that through this you know in which the number of people who paid nothing were like 87% or something
1: yeah. like that so, because they can yeah no
0: I know I believe And me. so what what
1: I think is more likely to happen is right. they will make a reasonable amount of money mhm uh, Marcus Martin will probably see all of it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the colorist and Marcus Martin. I don't think I don't think it's going to be... They're going to make enough that it'll get to the point where uh, Brian Kavon can make money out of it at all. Mm, interesting. Um, and I don't think it's meant... I don't think it exists for that purpose, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I think that it is... It exists more to get the stories out there and to... Make it make the public, uh, sin, sorry, the paper syndicate uh, a brand mm-hmm. more than anything. I mean, it's it's very telling to me that they've set it up as the paper syndicate, and here's our first 10 part story. Yes. You know, that that strikes me as it is Vaughn or perhaps Vaughn and Martin mm-hmm. setting up a brand that they're going to do other things with later. Yeah, I think that are, yeah, that are more likely to give them money.
2: hmm.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, could be, could be. That certainly, that certainly makes sense. Um,
1: I mean, we'll know if it completely fails if, A, there are not ten issues. Right. Or, B, they change the purchase model. Right. Midway through the series.
0: Yeah, which, frankly, I I, I half hoped that they do. Because there is a way where I was like, you know, because they sort of seem to be doing the Radiohead pay-what-you-want model. I was kind of actually hoping they would do something closer to a... A monkey brain. Uh, I was going to say Louis C.K. where Louis C.K. did had his concert t- thing available without DRM and then gave it like a five dollar price. You know, so part of me is kind of like if they had done a ninety nine cent thirty two page comic, but it was a ninety nine cent and it was DRM free. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think they would have. They would have seen just as much excitement in the marketplace.
1: Yeah, because the excitement—I don't think the excitement was really over the model. The excitement was over the fact these two guys are doing their own series.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. exactly. Like,
1: like complete wonks like us are like that's a fascinating distribution model. But the, exi- the we weren't really excited about it as much as that's really curious. Well, the excitement
0: yeah. came from this is great. Yeah, this is this is Brian Vaughn and Marcos Martín. I'm very—I was looking forward to what they were going to do, and now it's available. And they're really trying to push. Um, they're really trying to push the limits of what can be done. Also, I think what I find fascinating is is that between doing this, having done the Vertigo stuff, and doing um, Saga for Image, like like Brian K. Vaughn has a pr- is going to end up with a really enviable set of metrics. I mean, they're not going to be applicable to anyone who's not like. Brian K Vaughn level or above but he's going to have a really really good sense of where he's currently at in the marketplace what he can afford to uh, charge what he can and what he can see you yeah. know i think and i think that in that sense you know in the in the future when people are going to be like yeah but if you know so and so had went and done this you know um, he'd be like yeah, no, like, before Walking Dead thinks about doing a free-to-pay model, you know, <laughs> they should consider this. Not that Robert Kirkman would ever do that, but, um, you know. Robert so Kirk, he, He's not about the money, Jeff. You know what he, I think? He's, he's about the art. I,
1: I have to say,
0: I have to say that this is something that I'm way, way behind the curve on, but I did want to mention, because it's just... You know, there was all that shit with Kirkman and Tony Harris and each saying that the other, et cetera, et cetera, and I still don't know, but as somebody who watched, like, and has yet to get beyond the third episode of the first season of The Walking Dead, like, somebody who watched the the pilot episode, like, only three weeks ago or a month ago or whenever the fuck I was sick as hell, um, I guess that was much longer now, Um, I the fact that that show on the opening credits said based on the walking dead comic books by robert kirkman and tony moore and charlie adlard like on the one hand okay maybe there were some awesome contracts cut to to make that 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 made that contractually obligated but that is that's impressive you know what i mean like like all the other stuff that goes on about what had to happen or what should have happened or how things totally got, you know, who got fucked over or how the fact that those, that all three of those guys have their names in equal sizes on the Walking Dead created by thing is pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. You know, there's not that I'm trying to make a huge sustained defense of Kirkman. I also thought it was kind of awesome that he was like, yeah, we're doing... Minimum, we're doing maximum minimum wage you know bob fingerman's like yeah we're doing this because robert kirkman's a huge fan and he wanted like the perfect edition for it i kind of had that weird moment sort of the same way that you had sympathy for todd mcfarlane is i'm like you know if robert kirkman cared enough about minimum wage to make sure that it came out you know in an in a, an ultimate edition that was affordable and everything like that i have trouble believing that he's you know
1: he can't be all bad
0: he can't be all bad exactly Exactly. I have to at least feel is,
1: is this the episode where we have, like, sympathy for the bad guys?
0: So, yeah, sympathy for the bad guys. It may well be. It may, may well be. I don't know. Hey, Graham, can well, you that hear me? was just weird. That was super weird. I actually Keep got—
1: again. I heard you say hey. Hey. No, wait, I can hear you.
0: Where were what we... I think
1: we should do is just like wrap up really quick. E-
0: super quickly. Like, were we at the end of our points? Like, what the well, fuck?
1: Well, I Why asked was... you a question, then you vanished, which I thought was really funny. Oh. I said, is this the podcast where we side with the bad guys?
0: Um, let's just say yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but really. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm feeling bad for Tom McFarlane. And you're like, hey, Robert Kirkman can't be that bad. It's either that or Image have started sponsoring this podcast and we didn't know
0: yeah that would be great like suddenly we just get the checks in the mail and we're like huh we didn't even hmm yeah that whole backwards in time thing it can happen
1: it's like the end of Final Crisis
0: (laughs) exactly exactly or the end of Action Comics so um, Graham this was great I'm glad that we mostly made it through this yes
1: yeah, listeners, this is just getting weird and annoying. For you now, as well as I <laughs> Uh so I'm very quickly going to say, bye Sorry for all the technical things, but yeah, we talked for a long time this week.
0: Yeah, it was it was you got your you got your um tech uh utility money for it certainly. <laughs>
1: Bye everyone. We'll see you next week. Or will we? Are we taking next week
0: off? Uh, I don't. Is there anything going on next week? I don't. Oh God, so I
1: don't know. I
0: don't know.
1: But aside from that, listeners, we are going. I've, I've already done the high pitch bye, so this time Jeff's going out to do it. Bye. <laughs> God, I can't do that. See
0: you, everybody.